Hey, good morning, Forest Park. It is great to see you guys today. So glad you are here as we kick off a new series called Forward Together. I'm really excited about being able to bring part one uh, to you today, especially if you're new. Man, so glad you chose this series to get started in, and hopefully we'll see you back week after week. A lot of places you could be today, but you're here. I'll tell you what, before I get into this, I just want to say how much I enjoyed the worship time this morning. I thought that was just beautiful. You know, so I told someone, telling Zach a moment ago, I said, we're just, we live in a world that's just so busy all the time. I mean, it's just, we go here, we go here, we run in from here to there. Sometimes it's good to just relax and just sit and reflect and think. And I thought those ladies and, and Zach uh, did a great job today. So I enjoyed it so much. Let's jump into uh, part one. I, I was reminded of the following story. I was reading a Richard Stern's book. Uh, this past week, and he mentioned this, and I thought, well, it's such a perfect way to just kind of open and set the stage for what we're going to talk about today. Many of you may be um, fans of the Lord of the Rings uh, series and the movie. If so, then you know Gandalf, the wizard, tells Frodo, the story's hero, about the dangers he will face as the one who must bear the ring of power on the perilous journey. He warns Frodo of the great power the ring has to possess the one who carries it. Frodo, of course, is skeptical. I mean, it's just a ring after all. So as a test, Gandalf challenges him to give up the ring. If it's just a, you know, if it's just a ring, then get rid of it. Throw it away. Destroy it. Try, said Gandalf. Try now. Frodo drew the ring out of his pocket again and looked at it. The gold looked very fair and pure, and Frodo thought how rich and beautiful was its color, how perfect was its roundness. It was an admirable thing and altogether precious. When he took it out, he had an intention of flinging it into the very hottest part of the fire, but he found now that he could not do so not without a great struggle. He weighed the ring in his hand, hesitating, and forcing himself to remember all that Gandalf had told him. And then with an effort of will, he made a movement as if to cast it away, but he found himself putting it back into his pocket. And Gandalf laughed grimly. You see? When I read that story this week, I thought about something that affects all of us, especially those of us who live in North America. This is how it is with us. We've become attached to our identity and to our status. And as much as we try to act as if we can give it up, much like the ring, we can't. Now, I'm going to tell you at the very beginning as we jump into today's message, this is going to be hard for some of us to wrap our minds around. I'm going to challenge you today. I'm going to push you today. We're going to take a look at some scriptures in just a moment. We're going to move our way through 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to look at a variety of different scriptures. And I'm going to do my best over the next few minutes to open your mind and to push you maybe in one direction that maybe you haven't thought about being pushed in. So hang tight as we move into this. It's going to be a little tough for us because we in North America have a ring, if you will, or at least we're in pursuit of the ring. We call it the American dream. You know what the American dream is, right? The American dream is to be autonomous, to make enough money where you can do anything you want to do whenever you want to do it. 
I mean, that's what people are after. I mean, how can you get any better than being free to do whatever you want to do it, whenever you want to do it? Many of us imagine if we could ascend to the place where we are free to come and go and buy and sell and travel and do whatever we want to do, we would finally then, once and for all, we will have achieved the American dream. But here's what I find interesting. There are people here at Forest Park Church who have achieved what many of us would define as the American dream. Made a lot of money, been very successful in business, could go and do pretty much what they want to do. My son works for a church in Corpus Christi, Texas, and it's a large church, and they have people there also who have no doubt achieved the American dream, and they have plenty of money and beautiful homes. And a friend of mine pastors in Raleigh, and he has people there at his church, same exact way. They've achieved the American dream. They can go and do and come and whatever they want to do. And yet, here at Forest Park, there in Texas, in Raleigh, and I can give you another example of many other churches, those same people we would look at and say, wow, that person is successful. That person has exactly what it is I want. They have the ring, if you will, in their very pocket. Even though that's true, I notice that they still cut out a slice of time precious time, time they could be lying on the beach, time they could be traveling onto another vacation, time they could be fishing, time they could be boating, time they could be enjoying the latter years of their life, and yet they come and they give a significant portion of their time and their energy and their talents at their churches. And I say, why? Why would someone do that? Why would someone who has the freedom to lie on a beach Sunday after Sunday choose to get up early on Sundays and come here and open doors for people? Why would someone who, have worked, who has worked their entire life and put away plenty of money for a rainy day get on a hot bus in the middle of South America and eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and take, you know, the good news of Christ to kids and set up a medical clinic in Guayaquil, Ecuador and serve people there for an entire week? Why would someone who could buy another house with the profits of their business sit down and write a check for $250,000 to their church and says, take it and use it to reach people, use it to do great things? Why? Why, why would someone who spent their entire life teaching kids and finally retire come back to the church and spend weekend after weekend serving kids? I mean, I just kind of scratch my head sometimes and go, why is that? Well, I'll tell you why it's true. These people I'm talking about has dis have discovered that being a Christian, and this is going to be really tough for some of us, being a Christian does not mean you are autonomous, independent, self-governing. They have discovered they are connected to something bigger than themselves. They've realized they are little parts of the whole. Whole is greater than merely lying on a beach or traveling to another vacation destination or catching more fish. And today, we're going to do the best we can to learn how you and I are connected to something so much bigger than you and me, something universal, something connecting every believer around this entire globe, no matter the color of their skin, no matter their social status, no matter their education level, no matter what they've done in their past, what they're currently doing in their present, what their dreams are for the future, we are all made one by being connected to the universal body of Christ. And the secret to Forest Park Church impacting this city 
impacting your family, impacting your kids, impacting future generations. The secret to us growing where we have stunted, building where we have halted, moving where we have slowed is not going to be found in more and more of us achieving the American dream, but in finding the power to take off the ring, move away from independence, and move forward together. Are you tracking me? Good. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In this chapter, Paul is talking to Christians about autonomy. I mean, he just gets right to it. He's talking about independence. He's talking about self-government. And he is saying, you know what? All of those things have their place, but that is not the heart. That is not the goal. That is not the center of a Christian's life. Standing on your own, being your own island, being a self-made man, a self-made woman, that is not the goal. There is something greater. There is something there is something more important than all of that. Now, I want to begin this morning at the end of chapter 12, kind of the goal that Paul has in writing this chapter. So I'm just going to give you the heart, kind of we're going to begin with the end in mind, if you will. We're going to talk about what he's getting to, and then we're going to back back up and see how he gets there. All right? So in verse 27, Paul just takes everything he has said in the entire chapter. He crystallizes it. He, 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 he concentrates it. He brings it down to its essence. And this is what Paul's entire point is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, you are the body of Christ. Whether you are male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free, white, black, come from this area of the world, that area of the world, speak Spanish, speak English, speak whatever. You, all together, are the body of Christ. Now, we read that. Some of us may say, that, that, there's no way. I mean, Christ has a body. He walked around. He was placed in a tomb. And I know that this is going to be new for some of us, but listen, because this is, this is a huge revelation that we need to see. We need to understand it. You and I, I'm talking about you, and me, and you and me, and you and me, all of us together, you and I are the physical body of Christ, and each of us is part of it. I want you to think about that. All of us in this room, everybody watching online, if you have placed your faith in Christ, you are a follower of Jesus, you have been placed within the body of Christ. Collectively, we make up the body of Jesus on this earth. And every single person is part of the body of Christ. Now, this next statement is going to seem radical to some of us, so don't fall out or leave. Hang tight. Here it is. The closest you will ever get to Jesus on this earth is when you are with one another. The closest you're going to get to Jesus on this earth is when you're with one another. It's difficult for us to see because we live in a society that promotes individualism, autonomy. It's really just about me. We live in a society where even church and Sundays and our spiritual lives promote individualism, self rule in fact, most of us decide about whether to attend on Sundays, whether to join a group, whether to join a service team, whether to go on an outreach trip. We base all of our decision on how we as people feel. 
whether it will benefit us, whether we want to, whether we can fit it into our already busy schedules. And when we show up, we join or we go, we evaluate the advantage it brings to us. We ask ourselves questions like this. Did I enjoy that mission trip? Did it help me? Was it fun to be a part of that service team? Uh, did I learn something by being part of that group? We evaluate what we do and how we, by, by through the lens of how we benefited, how we grew, how we were blessed, etc. We've basically turned Christianity, focus on others, into a self-help religion, a focus on me. Here's what it looks like in the church. A lot of people, and I just want you to know this, I'm going to take some of the tension out of the room. I'm not talking about you, okay? I'm talking about your wife, all right? I'm talking about your husband. I'm talking about the people sitting around you. We know you, you're good, all right? You're healthy, you're strong, you're whole. You know, you're, you're like Christ. It's the, the dirty, rotten sinner. You know, it's the hypocrite on the end, at the end of the row, okay? It's, it's not you, so just relax, all right? You just happen to be in the room when I'm picking on everybody else, all right? Here's what Christianity looks like for a lot of the church. A lot of people think Christianity is basically this. You pray a prayer at the end of a service. You pick up a Bible or you download one to your phone. You decide on a church schedule. I'm going to come to the early service. I'm going to come to the late service. I'm going to come every other week. I'm going to come once a month. And then off you go to live your Christian life, which isn't a whole lot different than a non-Christian life with just a few exceptions. And that's pretty much our life. And for many of us, what I've just described is about 95% of our entire Christian life. 95% of our life is we pray when we feel like it, we read our Bible when we feel like it, and we attend church when our schedule allows us to. Okay? Now, for the other 5%, we kind of stick in there, some outreach every now and then. We give when we have a little extra. We attend a group until we don't like it anymore. We serve until the schedule doesn't work for us. We volunteer for VBS when people make you feel guilty. You know, we just kind of jam it in there, all right? And that represents about 100% of our Christian life. Again, I'm not talking about you, but the people on your row. Some of them are like this, okay? just want to make sure you understand. All right. That's our Christian life. And here's what I found interesting. Our Christian life looks very different than our everyday life because we do separate our Christian life from our everyday life. At least that's what I find in North America a lot. We kind of have our Christian things that we do, and then we have our, you know, the other stuff we do in life. So here's kind of what our everyday life looks like. Give me the next one. Our everyday life is about 95% is work and family and friends and money and hobbies and all the things that we do that make up life. And then about 4%, we jam it in there. That's the whole other chart, the 95% a few minutes ago. It really only represents about 4% of our life. And that's, we pray, we read our Bible, 10 church. And then about, I don't know, we just kind of jam in there one more percent and that 1% is the outreach, the giving, the serving, VBS. So basically the blue and the red there was the entire other chart. That represents pretty much 
the average Christian in America. Now you say, Scott, are you trying to make us feel guilty? No. That's not, my goal is not guilt. My goal is to just reveal kind of where a lot of us live. And I want to show you why so many churches are ineffective. We're ineffective because we're filled with this autonomous attitude of I'm just here for me. It benefits me. When it ceases to benefit me, I'm not going to do it anymore. When it works in my schedule, when it you know, helps my family, when it benefits my marriage, when I've got time and all that, then I'll jump in there and do something or if somebody makes me feel real guilty or I've sinned a lot and I really feel like I need to confess, so I, I'll just I'll, I'll confess and I'll serve in VBS. That'll make me feel better, you know, something like that. But it's just kind of the way we look at our Christian life. All right, enough of that. Here's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul is saying you, as an individual, you weren't saved by Christ. You were saved so that you, as an individual, could connect with other individuals, get into the body of Christ, and be the body of Christ on this planet. So a healthier image, this is what I'm learning. I'm just sharing with you what I'm learning. A healthier image, a healthier pie chart, if you will, a healthier way of looking at this would be something like this. I'll just put this together that helps us. We put follow Christ at the center of our life, and then everything else we do emanates out of following Jesus. So our work comes out of that, our family comes out of that, our money comes out of that, our friends come out of that, our hobbies come out of that, our church life comes out of that. But at the center of our life is this learning to follow Jesus one step at a time. Learn to follow him in my marriage. Learn to follow him at my work. Learn to follow him at church. Learn to follow him in my hobbies. Learn to follow him with my money. And what does it mean to spend my money? What does it mean to have church relationships? What does it mean to have hobby? How does all that connect to following Christ? Now, the reason I put that there, and the reason I'm emphasizing it, is I just want you to imagine the potential we have if hundreds of people would begin to live life like this rather than sectioned off where there's a spiritual part and a non-spiritual part and work is separated than church and church is separate from hobbies and hobbies are separate from this. Imagine if all that was torn down and at the center of our life was following Jesus. And someone say, well, I, you know, I don't know that it would necessarily be all that amazing. I mean, how would it be any different? Well, isn't it true that when people follow Jesus, the people who say they follow Christ come together and we operate as the body of Christ, isn't it true amazing things happen? Well, let me, let me say, I don't know if it's true or not. Well, just hospitals get built when the body of Christ comes together. Orphanages are funded when the body of Christ comes together. Relief organizations are staffed. Disaster response is almost immediate. When the body of Christ comes together and we stop being individuals and we come together collectively, incredible things happen. I mentioned a moment ago about riding a hot bus in Ecuador. Some of you in this room have been with us, you know, to South America. We've gone for, you know, years and years, and that's not the be-all, end-all. I'm just giving you an example because this is easy to look at it this way. 
every year I do the best I can to inspire people to go with us. Hey, won't you go with us? You know, come with us, come with us, come with us. And I hear things like this. Well, you know, I don't know. If, I don't know that I could ever go. I mean, I, I don't know that I would be helpful. You know, I, I don't sing, I don't preach, I don't really build anything, you know, I, I don't have a lot of things that you need on a mission trip, you know, and I mean, what would happen if my kids get sick while I'm gone? I mean, who's going to take care of them? And on and on it goes. Well, I finally guild them enough, you know, they finally go. So they go and they serve for a week and they come back, and here's what I hear when they come back. Man, listen to what we accomplished. You know what we were able to do? We were able to have this medical clinic, and thousands of people came to the medical clinic. You know what we did? We did this, and we did this. Have you noticed the subtle change from I to we? I don't know if I could go. Do you know what we did? What if I get sick? Do you know how many people we treated in the medical clinic? What if my kids aren't okay while I'm gone? Do you know how many kids we saw while we were in Ecuador? We moved from me to we. And when we move from me to we, amazing things are able to happen. Now, have you ever been part of the body of Christ doing something significant? You know exactly what I'm talking about. And I am convinced many, many problems within our nation and around our world remain problems because the church, the body of Christ, remains divided. Man, if we could come together as the body and it ceased being about me and it became about we and hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people move from me to we, we would be able to solve problems. We would have more than enough resources, but we don't. And because we don't, we are weak, we are anemic. It is only when the church is unified and people surrender our personal preferences and begin to work together, amazing things happen. Now let me show you something before we jump into some of these scriptures in 1 Corinthians 12. Because this is a scripture that a lot of us read and we have no idea what it means. Matthew 18, 20. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. Now, notice I emphasize two or three. You ever wondered why I didn't say one or two? Why does it start out with two or three? What is it about coming together with two or three that allows the presence of God, his presence to be sensed and felt and experienced in a different sort of way? Why is it that it's in the middle of people, not individuals, but in the middle of people where God's presence is experienced deeply? Yes, God, I mean, you know, God's here with me when I'm just by myself, right? Absolutely he is, but not in the same way. What do you mean? Well, see, when two or three people come together, it is the gathering of the body of Christ, well, I don't understand. I mean, I know God is in me, and I don't need anybody else to be a Christian. Actually, you do need other people to be a Christian. Say, so what do you mean? I can be a Christian all by myself. Actually, you, you can't be a Christian all by yourself. You see, we misunderstand what the word Christian means. Christian is actually a descriptive term. It describes who you are, or it should describe who you are. You see, we've turned Christian into a term meaning you believe certain things 
and you have a label Christian. But Christian is a term reserved to describe our actions, our behaviors, our values, our treatment of others. In some areas of my life, I'm not very Christian. Anybody else not Christian in certain areas of your life? Well, what does it mean to be Christian? It means to be like Christ. It means to be a little Christ. It was a descriptive term used of the early Christians, and they said those are the, the Christian acted and taught and thought and did everything like Jesus, and the only way they knew to describe them is they were little Christs. It's a descriptive term. We've turned it into, if you affirm the following ten things, you're a Christian. If you pray a prayer at the end of a service, you're a Christian. If you're born in North America, you're a Christian. If you go to this church, this church, this church, this church, you're a Christian. But Christian is a descriptive term, or it should be. Let me say it like this. One of the reasons Christ is present where two or three are gathered as opposed to one is because where two or three are gathered, in that two or three, there is an opportunity for one to serve the other. Christ. There's forgiveness where there's two or three. There is an understanding where there's two or three. There's love where there's two or three. Somebody can esteem another person higher than themselves. That's where Christ is present. Because when I join with you and you offend me, I can forgive you. And if I offend you, you can forgive me. And when one of us needs to be served and the other one needs to wash feet and help and serve and care and love. It's where two or three people come together. It's in that dynamic of relationships Christ is seen. Everybody with me? He's present. He's experienced. He's felt within the dynamics of one another. Do you realize there are about 40 commandments in the New Testament you can't fulfill by yourself. Forgive one another. How do you do that one by yourself? Serve one another. Care for one another. How about this one? Carry one another's burdens. How do you do that by yourself? It's in the union. It's in the coming together. Christ is experienced. Now, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul begins to outline all that I'm saying. Verse 12. Christ is just like the human body. A body is a unit and has many parts, and all the parts of the body are one body, even though there are many. Notice that he's using the body and Christ interchangeably. The body, Christ. The body, Christ. The body, Christ. Verse 13, we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek or slave or free. We were all given one spirit to drink. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, we were all baptized into one body. It doesn't matter if you're from Indiana, Michigan, North Carolina, Ecuador, Africa. It doesn't matter if you're black, white. It doesn't matter if you're a man, woman. It doesn't matter where you are, from where you've come. If you've been placed your faith in Christ, you've been baptized and placed into the body of Christ. 
Divisions, torn down. Ranks, torn down. Verse 14, certainly the body isn't one part, but many. And then Paul says something, I think, when the people first heard it, they probably laughed. Verse 15, for instance, Paul says, if, if the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, everybody probably laughed when they heard that for the first time. That doesn't mean they're not part of the body, does it? And everyone went, no. Your foot isn't part of the body, folks, because it, it, excuse me, your foot isn't part of the body because it plays a particular part. It's part of the body because it was placed in the body. Each part is important, not because of the role it plays, but because each part was placed in the body by Christ. Your significance comes from your position, not your performance. Very important. My foot is part of my body just as much as my hand is. It's all part of my body. You and you and you and you and you are placed in the body. It is not your performance that makes you important. It is your position within the body that makes you important. Now, why is that important? Because I've done this a long time, and I know there are people within a local church who judge themselves based on their performance. And they see themselves as being less significant because they are not seen. Less significant because people do not applaud them. Less significant because people do not say, man, you're amazing. I want you to listen to me and listen to me very carefully, okay? Those who gather, and I want the band to hear me, and I want every staff member to hear me, and I'm, I'm saying this to myself. Those who gather on this stage are not more important than someone who has never taken a step on the stage. Not only are they not more important, they are not more like Jesus. They simply have abilities that place them on the stage, but they are not more important than someone who never steps onto the stage. Can I be really direct with you? Say, I guess so. You got a mic and we're sitting here. What are we going to say? No, it's not like you're not going to say it. Thank you. Some of the most difficult, trying, arrogant, and unlike Jesus people I have ever interacted with sing, play, and preach on stages. Never assume someone becomes like Jesus because you hand them a microphone. Never assume because someone can play a worship song they're worshiping. Never assume because someone uses Jesus in a sermon 150 times means he follows him. Just standing on this stage with a microphone and using a particular gift does not make anybody better than anybody else in the body. In fact, let me, let me use the same kind of thinking that Paul is using to explain that. People compliment eyes all the time. Man, you have the most beautiful eyes I've ever seen. Or they compliment someone's hair, which is way overrated. <laughs> okay. I just love your hair. You know, they used, they used to say that to me when I was like in fifth grade. Why is that? Because eyes and hair are public. Eyes and hair are easy to see. But listen, 
a person can live and function and live a fulfilling life without hair, I do it all the time, and without eyes. And the older I get, the more that's becoming true. But you can't live without a heart. You can't live without lungs. You can't live without a brain. And I doubt many of you have ever been complimented on your lungs. <laughs> you have the most beautiful lungs I have ever seen. You know, I tell you what, I've seen a lot of livers, and yours is the most sexy, you know. What is hidden is what keeps the body moving. What is public is what gets all the praise. That is exactly what Paul is saying here. He is saying that the most hidden parts or the most important parts are the most hidden parts, the parts that we don't see. You know how this thing works on Sunday mornings? The people in the back right now that you never see, the people upstairs you never see, the people online who make things happen you never see, the people who come out and straighten and clean and make sure things are fixed and working, the people who are praying, the people who give and who never get acclimates, who never get applause, people who tithe, people who write checks, people who serve, people who work behind the scenes, people who lead groups, people who support never get seen most important parts of the body verse 16 if your ear says i'm not part of the body because i'm not an eye does that mean it's not part of the body of course not if the whole body were an eye what, what would happen to the hearing and if the whole body were an ear what would happen to the sense of smell I mean, Paul's just using logic here to say every single part of the body has a particular function. Find your function and serve in it. That's what he's basically saying. Although the eye is extremely important, if the whole body were an eye, how would it walk around? If the whole body were an ear, how would you see? How would you, how would you move? How would you think? Here's the point. You and I will never find peace. We will never find contentment. We will never be able to answer the questions, the big questions like, why am I here? Unless we are connected to and function within the body of Christ. Now, you got to hear this, okay? Because I'm telling you, if we could understand this next verse, really understand this next verse. It could revolutionize how we see the church, how we see ourselves, how we see everybody else in the church. And if we could get this, and I mean really let this sink down deep inside of us, it could set us in a direction that could revolutionize your family, your friends, and our city. And here it is. But as it is, God has placed each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. So why is that important? When people place their faith in Christ all around the world, God places them into the body of Christ exactly where he wants them to be. God is building the body the way he wants it to be. God is putting together exactly the kind of body he wants it to be for a purpose much higher than any of us can ever imagine. And the best thing you can do is to ask this question, where am I supposed to function within the body? And when you find the answer, you get in it and you stay in it and everybody does the same thing, the body moves forward, and incredible things 
happen. When you find out where you're supposed to function, man, your Christian life comes alive. You start praying differently. You start experiencing things differently. You don't walk into the church on Sunday morning and you say, I sure hope somebody makes me feel good today. You start saying things like this, you know what? I've had a rough week, and I'll bet you another 50 people have had a rough week. How can I help others feel good about themselves? You start saying things like this rather than, I hope they sing my favorite song. You start saying things like this, you know, I brought my sister with me today, and she hadn't been to church in 20 years. I hope they sing a song that reaches her. Instead of praying prayers like, God bless me, we start saying prayers like, God bless the entire church body, every family, every kid. Rather than saying, I sure hope they have child care for my kids, we start saying, hey, how can I serve other people's kids? Can you imagine, literally, hundreds of people with that kind of attitude? Hundreds of people that saw themselves functioning within the body and all the body parts coming together and the entire body moving forward together. For too many of us, folks, and I've lived it, I'm telling you, too many of it, it's my prayer life, my growth, my relationship with God, my, my, my. I'm going to tell you straight up, you don't have a purpose. We have a purpose. See, that seems offensive. Well, folks, if I took my hand and cut it off and laid it right there, would my hand have a purpose anymore? My hand only serves a purpose if it stays connected to the body. My hand has a purpose within the body. Cut it off and it immediately starts dying and it is no longer good. We have a purpose. And you know what my prayer is? I'm just being as, just as honest and just as straight as I can be. My prayer is, God, what is it that you want Forest Park to do in this city? What is it that you want all of us, your body right here in this church, what do you want us to do? Us, us, us. Open my eyes, God, that I might see more about what we together can accomplish, what we have been called to accomplish. And I realize more than I have ever realized it before, I can't do it by myself. And you know what? You can't do it by yourself, but we can. And you are needed. Huge, huge, huge question. Do you know what your role is? Do you know what your role is? Do you have any idea where you are supposed to function within the body of Christ? Because there is a place. Do you know what it is? The goal is not autonomy. The goal is connection. And together we can accomplish more than we can ever do it on our own. So what does that look like for us? Last kind of big idea that I'm going to give you. We have three values at Forest Park. We say this all the time, constantly trying to get it inside of us. Everyone included, everyone connected, everyone whole. My goal is to see every single person who walks in these doors feel included in this church. It doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you believe, doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter how you live, doesn't matter what you've done in your past, what you're doing in your present, what you're planning on doing tomorrow. I want every single person to walk into this place and feel included. 
but I want you to move beyond just feeling included. I want every single person connected. And then it's not the goal is not for you to stay connected. The goal is for you to move toward wholeness, health, vitality, life, forgiveness, healing of wounds, dealing with your past, understanding of what truth is, on and on it goes. All that's wrapped into those three values. And one of the best ways our main connector at Forest Park to kind of move into that second part there, that connection, is groups. Say, so what are you talking about? I'm talking about small gatherings of people. This, you'll never be able to get to know people on an intimate level like this. You'll never be able to get down to really finding out what your function is and, and, and connecting with one another and loving and serving one another until you break that thing down to a smaller group. And you know what that means? Well, say, what, what, what does what mean? I have a dream. I have a goal. Our staff wants the same thing. We're all praying about it, thinking about it. I want every single person in this room, everybody in the first service, everybody watching online, everybody who calls Forest Park Church home, I want every single person in a small group. Every person. Every person. And you know what that means? In order for that to happen, we got to have group leaders. For that to happen, we got to have group Hosts, people who open their home and say, hey, you can use my home for a group. People who will say, you know what, I don't want you to come to my home, but I'll go to somebody else's home and I'll be the leader. And we not only need hosts and we need group leaders, we need group members. People say, you know what, I'm going to sign up. I'm going to break things down from the big group to the small group. And I want to get to know one another and pray for one another and serve with one another. Men, in the past, we've had people literally go to outreach trips together as a group. We've had people in groups say they, they come together and they're friends and they get to know one another and they say, hey, we want to help do this in our city together. We've had people come and say, hey, we want to serve in first impressions together as a group. We've had people do all kinds of things. when they get. We've had people vacation together and, and serve together and just become friends. We want to see everybody included, everybody connected, everybody whole. So my question to you as we wrap up and go, is have you cut some time out of your busy schedule? And I know you're busy. Gosh, we're all busy. We got stuff to do all the time. In fact, some of you are just waiting for me to say amen because you got four things you got to do today. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. But have you, in the middle of all that busyness, have you, in the middle of all the stuff you got to do, sliced out some time to say, you know what? It is not all about me. God, help me move. So the question is to you, really, be honest. I'm not going to, it's not a confession. I'm not going to bring you up front. I'm not going to have anybody lift their hands, nothing like that. I just want you where you are to think about it deep. For you, is it we or is it me? Really? Really? Imagine, imagine, imagine. Imagine if hundreds of people here at Forest Park would say, I'm, I'm done with the me thing. I'm ready to get we focused. I'm ready to get shoulder to shoulder with some other people and serve together. I'm ready to bring people with me on Sunday morning. I'm ready to bring ladies to the Adore Conference. I'm ready to say yes to an outreach trip in the summer. I'm ready to host a group in my home. I'm ready to feed people throughout the city whenever we open up. I'm ready to get involved in this. I'm ready to get involved in that. I'm ready to do whatever it is. You don't have to do it all. My foot doesn't do everything. It does a foot thing. My hand does a hand thing. You don't have to do everything, but what is 
your thing that God has gifted you to do within the body. Let's move from me to we. All right. Enough said from me. All right. Let's pray. Father, you've challenged us today. You've pushed us today. You've made us think today. Your word, your truth, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 is still applicable today. Probably today more than ever because we're so busy. We're so wrapped up in the things that we want to do. And God, you opened up our eyes in 1 Corinthians 12 to see it's not about me. It's about us. It's about the body. Speak to us. Challenge us and move us from being these individuals to being the collective body, serving and accomplishing things together. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your mercy and your grace every day. Thank you for that sweet, wonderful time of worship at the beginning. Thank you for your presence is rich in this place because we are together in your name. Now move us, move us as your body to accomplishing the things you've called us to accomplish in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, now listen, when you leave today, I'm going to challenge you. Roy is in the lobby. We've got a group representative there. When you walk out to the left, there's a table there with groups on the TV. He's there to answer questions about groups. He can help you find out. If you are interested in opening a group, he can take your name down. He'll do whatever he can do. Jose is in the back. He's also helping with groups. He can answer questions for you. He'll be out in the lobby. Different people. We want to help you move.